I'll tell you what, Brett, it's funny who you run into in Santa Barbara. Yeah, you go out to a golf course and, and uh, you run into, you know, none other than the, the, the legend, the legend of golf, the just what one of my favorite all-time athletes, Gary Player. And not only that, but I get in a game with him. Yeah. And, and, and get to go out and play 18 holes. Now, if I can't bring my game to play in front of Gary Player, something was wrong. And, and uh, we had a blast. Gary Player, welcome to Advantage Connors. Uh, thank you, Brad and Jimmy. Well, you certainly did bring your game to the utmost. I mean, you played so well. I don't think there's a single tennis player or fair handicap, whatever it may be, that can beat you. I mean, you can really play. Well, <laughs> You've always been one of my favorite tennis players, my favorite sport to watch other than golf. And in fact, I actually prefer watching tennis to golf. My favorite sport to watch is tennis. My family all play tennis, a lot of it, and always watching you, uh, and I always enjoyed watching you and Nadal a lot because I enjoyed Fedra and Djokovic and all the other guys, but you just tried like I tried in golf. So I could, uh, you know, I could put myself in your shoes and with Nadal, never to give up. And so to come to Santa Barbara, which is a, uh, if you don't live in this place in America, you're crazy. It's just paradise. Yeah, we're so, we're so glad you're here, yeah. and I, I know you're you're here for reasons. But uh, you know, I'm, uh, you know, for you to uh, be around in the community here, and uh, I I go out and I run into friends on the street, and they say, "You can't believe who I saw at one of the clubs here," and uh, they they couldn't have been nicer. They stopped and talked to everybody, and you you've been so kind and and so uh, gracious to everybody in this community. It's just uh, it's been a uh, a thrill to have you here. Well, thank you. Uh, the feeling is mutual. Well, I, I want to. Uh, I followed you for so long, and and, uh, and and I come from from the days when when characters made it for me, uh, and and so I, I want to know. Uh, I, I know you picked up golf late. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, tell tell me about that and how you got into it. Well, at school in South Africa, school sports, and we had the best high schools in the world in South Africa. Uh, education, people speak four and five languages, knew a lot about world affairs in high school, and the great sporting facilities uh, for cricket, rugby, tennis, golf, swimming, all Olympic standards. And so I wasn't really playing any golf, and my father, who loved golf, and said to me, come and play golf when I was 14. I said, not for me, it's a sissy's game. Uh, but I reluctantly went out and played, and I had some pars and eights and nines, and I, was, I had the bug. And thank goodness I played, Jimmy, because it's the sport of longevity. I mean, right. most other sports are play and away. Golf is play and stay. So it's lucky what sport you choose. And uh, all I can say that I'm so grateful that my father took me to golf because it's a friend-making machine. I've traveled more miles than any human being that's ever lived now. It's been a marvelous education. It's taught me so much about people and just about life. So I'm forever indebted into this wonderful game and to all sports. And it's so important. Uh, one of my great heroes was Nelson Mandela. And he's, one of his speeches were, which we were familiar with, that sport can change the world. It can right. give people who don't have any hope, hope. It can do so much for you. People that have never been lucky enough to be able to have a high education or go to a great school. You take a man like Muhammad Ali. He always said he was so grateful for sport. 
Look what sport did for Michael Jordan. Look what sport did for you. Look what sport did for me. For all of us that have succeeded and been well and done well. And the one thing we've got to always remember to be grateful for it because right, exactly. it's, mm-hmm. it's, we've been blessed. You and I have had a journey that very few people in their lives can ever have. The, the, the journey, uh, you know, was the fun part. And, and uh, you said it, uh, you know, being from South Africa, uh, starting golf, you turned pro three years later uh, at yes. 17. Yes. So, I mean, obviously, you know, w- once you got the bug, it, you really got it and, and uh, just put a play down on trying to be as great as you could be right away. Well, my father was disgusted. He said, 17, a pro? I said, Dad, he said, you've got to go on and, and go to university and, <laughs> and get a degree. I said, Dad, my degree is going to be traveling the world and meeting people and being educated in a different source. And I said, I promise you, Dad, I'm going to be a world champion. I said, because one thing I will promise you, I will outwork any other man who plays golf, which I did. And there's no shortcut to success. There's no giveaway programs. You know, we've got to earn things the old-fashioned way. And it uh, doesn't mean to say because you're poor, you can't make it in life. You look at so many people that have been poor and had nothing. Look at Nelson Mandela, went to jail for 27 years and came out and changed our country. Right. Look what Mahatma Gandhi did. Look what Winston Churchill did. You know, people, look what you did for tennis. Look what the, uh, Federer and Djokovic and Nadal are doing for tennis. Getting kids to play all over the world. So really, the world is there. It's a stage. If you work hard, what made America great? Family, faith, hard work. Mm-hmm. When, when, uh, when, when you first left South Africa after, you know, every, everything that, uh, uh, that you had been through to get into golf and, and uh, to become as good as you could be right then, once you left South Africa and traveled the world, how how'd that change you and uh, your views for what you were seeing then? Well, first of all, I was brought up in the midst of apartheid. And that was very tough. Being a white person, you still had a certain privilege. But if you said the wrong thing, you got 90 days of jail. So as a young man, I was very scared to what I was going to say because I wanted to be a world champion. And I was scared if I really said what I wanted to say, I'd go to jail. So later on, I became, I traveled and I realized what was happening in the country. I said, by then I'd won a lot of world titles. I stood up and I was very vociferous because I knew they wouldn't do anything to me. At least I hoped they wouldn't. And South Africa, thank goodness, with Nelson Mandela coming along, has changed. But he wouldn't be too happy with what he's seeing at the moment. There are a lot of things they're doing now that he was not in favor of. But uh, at least we have an opportunity to have a future. And, you know, I looked at people like Martin Luther King, and I always vividly remember one statement he said, you can't fight hate with hate. You've got to fight hate with love. And, you know, it was such an example to me because I was demonstrated being from South Africa. They wanted to kill me for two years. They threw telephone books in my back, ice in my eyes, threw balls between my legs, screamed when I was budding. And I never had the hate. I had love in my heart and I approached them with love. And this is the way I overcame it. So you cannot fight fire with fire. It's the hardest thing to do. The easiest thing is to pick up a gun and want to fight back. That's not the answer. And so I get very perturbed when I see people burning buildings down now, hurting old people, shooting a policeman, guarding somebody's house, killing a a policeman by suffocating him. I just don't, I can't understand that. In this great country of America, the greatest country that has ever existed, we've got to make sure we never forget the most cherished word that exists 
in the world, particularly America, have been the doyens, is freedom. And freedom is your flag. And I don't understand people doing and blaming the flag and burning it and damaging it and crucifying it. The flag is not a Democrat. The flag is not a Republican. The flag is not a Muslim. It's not a Jew. It's not a Christian. The flag is a symbol of freedom to us all. Don't take it out on the flag. Take it out on the people that are ruling at that time if you have a beef, but don't take it out on the flag. My brother left South Africa when he was 17 years of age, 17, much to my mother and father's disgust, to fight with the Americans, and my brother-in-law did the same thing. He never came back. My brother did, and he fought for freedom, as all those thousands of young people that died in France, right. Normandy, mm -hmm. these young people. Freedom is not luck. It's the residue of design, and we've got to uphold that and never forget our history. We're forgetting our history. We need to pull statues down, change everything. You can't forget your history. It must remain there whether you like it or you don't like it. You learn from the things by looking at statues that they weren't wrong. They remind you. They remind the young people there's something that wasn't wrong, wasn't right. You don't want to ruin your history as a young country. And so law and order for me is so important, faith and discipline, hard work, respect, respect for your fellow man. Do you remember uh, meeting Nelson Mandela for the first time, how that came about? Yes, uh, he was not president at the time, he just got out of jail, and he requested to meet me, which was a fantastic honor. And I went and I met him in his office, and he was very relaxed, and um, I said to him, Mr. Mandela, I said, you must hate the white man and have a lot of revenge in your heart. He says to the, no, not at all, not at all. He says, I love the white man. I love everybody. I can't blame the white man per se for putting me in jail. It was a handful. It wasn't all people like yourself or your father. And he said, there's a word in, in South Africa they call Ubuntu, means bring together, rainbow coalition. He said, that's my job. And you know, this man, every time I was with him, we raised around about 20 million for young black children. And every wow. time I was with him, mm -hmm. which was a lot in three years, I could not help crying. I could not stop crying because this man was so full of love and so full of forgiveness. I mean, if the world, and so was Martin Luther King. So was Churchill, so Mahatma Gandhi. I mean, they hit him to the ground and beat him to the ground. He never retaliated. I mean, if you read the history of Mahatma Gandhi, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pacifist. It's pacifist. Yep. It's it's a uh, it's amazing the the education that traveling gives you, mm. you know, and, and you being from South Africa and, and while we were playing, you know, we spoke about it. You've had to travel, and it's documented so so much more than anybody else, mm. you know, back and forth. And and how how did you handle that? Because I know uh, you were married mm -hmm. at the time uh, uh, and still. Uh, wanting a family, uh, you know, traveling back and forth. And, you know, how, how'd you handle that? Because uh, the travel then was different. There was no private airplanes and, you know, like, <laughs> like today. So how, how'd you do that? And I'm still married today. As I you know said, you are. <laughs> which is quite unusual. I've been married now for 63 years and been hanging out with my wife for 70. Wow. Uh, I mean, most young people today are divorced one time or other. It's quite sad. But uh, Jimmy, it was very difficult because there were no jets. And it took 40 hours to come to America. Mm. Wow. And then you stop in four places. And we often traveled with six children. In fact, my wife 
often travelled with six children by herself <laughs> from <laughs> South Africa. No movies, no TV, no iPad, no beds, but, no iPad. Right. <laughs> you just sat up like this. You flew at 27,000 feet where most of the storms were. <laughs> and can imagine being married to me? Nobody would have stayed married to me, but she did. <laughs> and so I've been so blessed in having a wife and and a great family, 22 grandchildren, 15 wow. American grandchildren, <laughs> three American children who are Americans, I'm proud to say. And uh, I've been very, very blessed, all healthy. So I, got a, uh, I never forget to say a prayer of thanks every day, just many times, because I'm so grateful. When I walk in your house today, funny enough, I said, thank you for letting me see such a beautiful house. Well, <laughs> no, everything, I, I say thank you all the time because we are so blessed. How can we spread that attitude around? I right. don't uh -huh. know. I don't uh -huh. know what it is. Um, you need to bottle it. And sell you it. need to bottle it. Sometimes <laughs> I, I almost put it down to, uh, without being too dramatic, I put it down a lot to Marxism, socialism, where, you know, I've, as I've, all the countries that I traveled to where I saw this extreme socialism, there was not the freedom. Take a map. Just take a map and color in a map in red where there's no freedom. Not much left in the world. Mm -hmm. In fact, freedom in America is dying rapidly. You can't say what you want to say now. Mm -hmm. If you say the wrong thing now, your career is ruined unless it's politically correct. But yeah. if you're on the other side, you can say what you like. But if you're a slight conservative, I'm in the middle of the road. Mm -hmm. I'm not ultra-conservative and I'm not ultra-liberal. But I can't say things sometimes that I might want to say because your career would be ruined. Right. And freedom of speech means that you must be able to do that. That's in your constitution. Mm -hmm. But today, people with freedom, they shut them down, they shut them up, they slap them around the place. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think that that's right. But So I have really understood what freedom is, having lived in South Africa and having traveled around to these countries where I saw socialism, beautiful countries that became socialist, ruined. They don't even have places that I went to. You can't even buy olive oil. And the students, I'm sorry to say in America, with your great universities, are being influenced by so many of your professors and teachers uh, on the wrong things on socialism. And it's wrong. They must teach them about the history of America, whether they like it or they don't like it, and teach them to be proud of this country because this is, without a question, the greatest country that has ever existed. And people must never forget that. But they are brainwashing a lot of children that this is not the greatest country they've ever lived. Yes, you can improve like everybody can improve, but that's what America does. They mm -hmm. keep improving, and they will keep improving. But you've got to keep it at the, at the helm because you've got countries that want to destroy you mm -hmm. and you've got to be careful of that. Definitely. When, when you first came over uh, and, and made that trip, uh, you're, you're five, six. Yeah. Uh, 150 pounds. 150 <laughs> pounds. And, and when, when you walked out there and, and you were playing your first uh, professional tournament over here, you know what? What? What did you feel? What was? What was in your your mind and heart to to walk out there and and say, you know, I, I, I know what I can do, but you know, how am I going to compete? What you know? What What was in your mind? Yes. Well, first of all, when you have a hard upbringing like I did, with your mother dying when you're nine and your brother going to war at seventeen and your father working eight thousand feet under the ground, it's a life of a dog. Well, a dog's life today is good. It's a, it was a life. I can't even explain what it was like. No air conditioning, 100 pounds a month, living in a poor suburb. So when I came over here, it was something special. 
I mean, South Africa is a special country, but here the people were so friendly. They were so nice. And Arnold Jack and I became the best of friends and we competed against each other with great tenacity. We were the best of friends, but we loved each other. And we traveled around the world. There'll never be another big three like Arnold Jack and I. Maybe playing-wise, yes, but we were brothers. We went to Japan, China, South Africa, Europe, America, to my farm, to their houses, on their airplanes. We lived like three brothers. Today, the, the, the sports are too big. They've all got their own planes buzzing off here and there. It's a different world, understandably so. So we had a tremendous, tremendous bond. And we went around the world promoting golf because we loved the game. I mean, Tiger Woods gets offered $3 million to go somewhere sometimes. And he turns it down sometimes. I said, just give me $500,000, i will row over there. That's right. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, uh, it's been a wonderful journey and it was not easy, you know, to come over here, this massive country, and to be playing against the locals with big time changes, being away from your wife and your children. It was good. But the one thing I learned as a young man, and it came from a very good Jewish friend of mine, he said, Gary, remember, everybody has adversity in their life. There's nobody that goes through this life without adversity of some kind. Obviously, others with more than other people. And he said, you've got to teach yourself to enjoy adversity. Now, he says, I can't teach you to do that. You've got to do that. So as a young man, I taught myself to the best of my ability, not perfected, to enjoy adversity. So when I was playing, and when I played my first Masters, and I was very friendly with Billy Graham, and we were sitting in his little tub at his house having a little sauna, and he said, look, you're the leading money winner going into the Masters. I think you're going to win this week, but remember you're going to have some bad holes, and just look up and say, thank you, I accept the challenge, I'll show you what I'm going to do. And that was such good advice. And I'm playing against Arnold Palmer, my best, one of my best friends ever. But there were 20,000 people there and only one, two people pulling for me, my wife and my dog. So, <laughs> That's not bad, though. Yeah, not bad. That's, right. That's if you've got a good wife and a good That's dog. Right. It's good enough. <laughs> and so when I arrived here, your dog didn't like me very much, so I wouldn't have had him on my side. That'd be, I'm kidding you. But the thing is that I was prepared. And, with all, and I understood they were pulling for Arnold. He was an American icon. I understand that. And they gradually accepted me because I accepted that and appreciated it and didn't have any bitterness in my heart at all. I understood the situation, but I was ready for him because I trained myself and that's why I could beat him probably more times than he could beat me because I was prepared for it mentally. And Jimmy knows. Why was he one of the best tennis players in the world? This man fought to the last second. And I used to just, my wife and I said, look at this. He plays golf like you, he plays tennis like you play golf. I'd rather finish second last than last in a tournament. You don't want, you know, you just, you, you, you're so, you're lucky. Although luck is the residue of design. You've got to work hard and design it. But luck still plays a role. But you're so fortunate, that's a better word, to be in the position that we've been in, that there's nothing more disgraceful than not trying your best. Right, right. I, I, yeah. You, you uh, well, I want to bring that up, bring this up later, but I got to bring it up now because you said it. You, you made the one statement, and and uh, please tell me uh, the story behind it. Did you that you said uh, uh, that luck plays a part in, in in everything, but you made the statement that uh, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Mm -hmm. You know, so uh, please tell me the story where that came from. I was in Dallas practicing, 
And I was in a bunker and I saw this man come up on the, the bunker was quite elevated and he had the most beautiful cowboy boots on, cowboy outfit with his hat on. I just loved that dress. And I said, good morning, sir. And he said, good morning. He said, I've heard you're a pretty good bunker player. I said, I'm okay, thanks. And <laughs> so I hit the first one, went in the hole. So I hit the second one in the hole. No way. He says he takes out 500 bread, 500 Brand new dollar bills. There's a lot of money for me in those days. Yeah. So if you hold that, I'll give you this. So help me, I hold it. So Three in a row. He was chewing a bit of red man tobacco. <laughs> now it spits it on there. He says, that's the luckiest thing I've ever seen. Spontaneously, I said, well, the harder you practice, the luckier you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And that stayed around the world. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, young people come to me and ask me, as I'm sure they come for Jimmy, how do I perform at Wimbledon or the US Open? under the big strain, and how do I become a champion? There's no, there's no ingredient, there's no remedy that you can pinpoint your hand on. There are an accumulation of things. But Winston Churchill, my all-time hero, said, when they asked him a question like that, he said, the height that great men reached and kept and kept were not attained by sudden flight, but while his opponents were sleeping, he was toiling upward in the night. And that's what I did. Mm. When I went to a dinner, it was my night for the gym. I went to the hotel manager. I said, please, can I use a gym? Sorry, it's closed. Please give me the key. I promise you I'll bring it back. If it's anything wrong in the morning, I'll pay for it. And I still did my exercises getting back at 11 o'clock because that was my routine. You can't say there's manana. There's no manana tomorrow because that manana, as your, as your dad knows and I know, goes like that. Mm-hmm. Your dad said to me the other day, he said, hasn't it gone by quickly? Now with me, I had 70 years. I mean, golf, you stay a long time. That's gone quickly. Never mind your dad's career. Mm -hmm. Mine has gone quickly as well. So you've got to make hay while the sun shines. It's an old saying. And you've got to work your butt off. Mm -hmm. Don't expect things for freezy. Get out there and work. This country, if you want to work in this country, the world is at your feet. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, with uh, the way... The things have changed since since our day. Well, you even before me, uh, that uh, you know the amount of money now, you know that's that's in the game, uh, in golf, in tennis, in, in basically in all sports. You know, it, it seems to me that that, uh, uh, and, and, I, and I hope I'm not overstepping my bounds here. But uh, hey, it's our podcast. I can say anything, right? <laughs> you know, uh-huh. mediocrity has become acceptable. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that, that, well, this is what made America so great. America made it so great. My, my grandchildren came home one day and they had three trophies. I said, you got three trophies? <laughs> yes, I finished 10th and 11th and 9th. I took that trophy and I just crushed it on the ground. I said, don't ever bring me that hogwash. When you finish first, come and tell me. I said, you've got to set your sights high. You can't settle for mediocrity. If you're not talented, accept it. You don't have to be talented to make a lot of money and you don't have to be successful to make a lot of money. You can have a job of sweeping the street, but if you do it well, you've done your job well. So there are different philosophies. We must have respect for different philosophies. I think that's very important. What was your favorite tournament? You were talking about prize money, Jimmy. Now, if you take, my favorite has always been the British Open because of the weather and you can't feel sorry for yourself and you've got these deep bunkers and you've got to accept adversity all the time. You get a bad draw. You can't feel sorry for yourself and the wind blows and the rain comes up and the other guys played in sunshine in the morning 
So all that kind of test that you don't get in other tournaments. But I want to bring up Augusta, the Masters. I win the Masters three times. I'm second three times. The top 10, 14 times. The most number of cuts in a row and the most number of times to play in the tournament. I didn't win $300,000. Yeah. Now they get almost $2 million first prize. Right. Oh. So, but Jimmy, we never ever played for the money, even though I was well, dirt poor. Exactly. I wanted to be the best. Yep. And I tell people this, and people who know me know it's the truth because I was so determined to win like you. I said, if I came to the last hole in the Masters and I needed a five to win, that's a bogey, and a guy said, Gary, I've had a bet in Vegas, I'll give you $50 million if you make a six. Even when I didn't need the money, I wouldn't have done that. Right. Because I worked my tail off. Right. And this was my great dream. It was my all-American dream was to win Augusta. I'm not going to do it for money. Yes, money's nice. It's, uh, it's not the most important thing in the world, but it's a hell of a lot ahead of whatever second place is. <laughs> right. But no, that I wanted to be the champion. And Arnold was the same. And Jack Nicklaus was the same. And Tom Watson and Ben Hogan and Sam Snead and Bobby Jones, a whole host of them like that. They wanted to be the best. It was not the money. Never thought of the money. Want to hold that trophy in your hand as you did at Wimbledon. And you did at the US Open and all the others. Uh, now, nowadays, it, it seems that, uh, that uh, the careers are defined more by their bank account yes. than, 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 the, than the championships. Right. You know, which, yes. which, you know, which is not bad, you know, that, you know, that the, because the financials have changed so much since uh, your, your day and my day. But, but it was, you know, you and Nicholas and uh, Mr. Nicholas and Mr. Palmer and, and Mr. Trevino, you know, and, and I say the same that way about, you know, the past champions yes. in tennis, yes. Mr. Laver, Mr. Rosewall, yes. Mr. Gonzalez, that yes. laid the groundwork, mm -hmm. you know, by the tough traveling yes. and, and uh, you know, playing on tough greens and playing yes. in tough, you know, in tough times and, yeah. and doing it. And, you know, when you say that we've had a, a charmed life, we have because of that. Uh, and, 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 I, and I say that with, you know, because watching you and, and, and golf, because my favorite golf has gone at three and four in the morning, the old shell, wonderful world of golf. <laughs> That's know. right, yeah. You know, I'm up watching that because, because it, that, to me, that, it, just, it just brings something to me that I, I just really love. Yeah, I know that. And you've got to have a love for something. You've got to have a passion for something. That's important. Unless you have that, you will ne you've got to have what I call it. And, you know, you had it. McEnroe had it. And you talked about Gonzalez. We know about Fedra, Djokovic, and, 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 uh, and Adele. Go back to Gonzalez. He was at the club in Nassau when I was there. I was the pro there, uh, golfer. He was the tennis pro. This guy, uh, you must have played against him at the very big end of his career. At the end of his career, yes. He what? was in his 40s when I played against him. And what a competitor. Oh, yeah. He was, he was vicious. Yes. And he was so, not the word conceited, where the word is arrogant, arrogant, he was just, he put his mind to that. He said to me one day, he says, you know, Gary, he was about an eight handicap. He says, you know, before you leave here in a couple of years, you know I'm going to beat you at golf. So <laughs> I, I kept my calm <laughs> and I said, you know, Pancho, it's funny I told my wife this morning, before I leave here, because you know I practice tennis every afternoon, 
I'm going to beat you. Well, he, 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 did, he could say that about me, right. but I could not say that yeah. about him. I said, you got as much chance of beating me as I've got of beating you. In right. fact, I'll give you $20 million if you can ever beat me. I said, forget about that idea, you know? But he, what he was, the word is confident. Yeah. Confident that he believed he could do anything. Yeah. And if you don't believe you can do it, I've seen so many players go out so good, play so well, play as well as the best in the world. But they got in that first tee and that bell went and they didn't honestly believe inside that they were the best. Something went wrong. They lost it. Mm. I don't know what it is. It is something that maybe 15 golfers in history have had. You can't define it. People like to try and define it, but you can't. It's, uh, is the word indefinable? Undef I think indefinable is the word. It's indefinable. When, when you were coming up, who 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 were you looking uh, for advice from, mm -hmm. or or were you happy uh, you know with within your own uh, knowledge of what you were doing? No, to the contrary, op opposite of what the young guys are, the young guys are today. I asked everybody that I played with what they could see to help me, mm. because they had had experience. If I didn't like it, I let it go. If I liked it, I tried it. If it didn't work after a certain while, I disregarded it. But I didn't want to miss anything that experience existed. And experience is a very valuable thing. You can't buy experience. You can't buy it for all the money in the world. And so I asked a lot of players that. And, but I, I told you the story when I played with Sam Snead. In those days, they were pretty tough. Sam Snead, it's debatable whether Sam Snead is the best player that ever lived. It's debatable. But anyway, he was the greatest athlete I ever saw in golf. And I played at him in my second tournament in America at the Greenbrier, a fabulous place. And we played 36 holes together the last day. And then we tied and we went in a sudden death playoff, seven holes and he beat me. So we had 43 holes. And I turned around and I said, Mr. Sneed, is there anything you can see there that can help me with my swing? He said, son, I ain't seen you swing yet. <laughs> 43 holes. Right. He says, I ain't seen you swing yet. <laughs> that's so that's how tough they were in those right. days. And you had to learn to be tough. So right. you couldn't run away and feel sorry for yourself and say, what a SOB he was. <laughs> you went and said, well, that's his attitude. Yeah. I'll find out. I'll go to the practice. I'll find out something. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. And so, uh, you know, if you want to. So, you know, you say that Pancho Gonzalez was like that. He was too. like, oh, very yeah. much. He very was like much. That. Very. So you see, uh, they have a great saying in English, if you want something badly enough, be careful you'll get it. Oh. It's a great saying. Yeah. Badly enough. They're dreamers and they're doers. Right. And they are extra doers. Right. Where, where'd the Black Knight come from? Well, I'm from Black Africa, number one. And number two, I came to America and they had a show called Jack Paladin. Have gun, will travel. One of my favorites. You remember? Yeah, of course. And he had dressed in black and he had the silver gun holster. And when pro somebody had a problem, he said, here's my card. If I can help you, give me a call. And they called him and he helped him. And I loved the good Samaritan part of his whole philosophy. And I thought, that's it for me, black. And I started wearing black. And you have to have, in sports, I've always felt you need a, uh, a brand, a trademark, if you look at Nicholas, he had the Golden Bear. Palmer had the Umbrella. Trevino had the Mexican. Uh, Tiger has the little, the little, what do you call it? The little slish, whatever you want Swish, to call it. Swish, yeah. yeah. Uh, so everybody's had something. And so I think that's very important because if you want to make money, 
We couldn't make money when we were playing, but we could make money through being able to speak well, uh, being able to look after people in pro-ams, and, and, and we had to market ourselves. Today, you don't have to worry about marketing yourself. You've got enough prize money there. You can be an ordinary player. An ordinary player and make $2 million a year. Right. Yeah. You couldn't make $2 million a year if you were the best when we played. Arnold Palmer was the first to ever win $100,000 in a year. I was leading money when it was 29 tournaments and 64,000 and a stroke average of 69. But that was, at the time, you didn't say, well, in the future I'll make more money. You were quite content. Mm -hmm. And so I never look back and say like, you know, you said to me the first time you and I met, it's gone by like that. And it does. Right. And your parents tell you, enjoy your life because life goes like that. You don't believe them, but it does. Mm. I mean, I think if I got five more years, man, I'd be a 90. I'd be very happy to live to 90. That ain't bad. You'll still be driving at 240. Mm. <laughs> I know. Listen, I... But, uh, but I'm going to keep pumping yeah, iron now. I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting, like what you were just saying about how you guys had to do more than just play the golf. You know, because both of you were part of a, a big three of your generation. You know, uh, you with yes. Nicholas and, and, yes. and Arnie and you with Borg and Mac. Yes. And both of you guys were part of that generation that helped bring it to the yes. masses and grow yes. it. And, you know, talk a little bit about what it was like doing that as like a trio. I think it's neat to kind of have like this group where you play each other and you have rivalries and, you know, all those old videos where you're giving each other the green jacket. Yes. So one wins and then the next year right. you're giving it yeah. back. I mean, those are great. Aren't they? There's a, something special and it's all done for, I believe everything's done for a reason if you have faith. Um, I think that's very important. And we traveled the world, not for big money. We traveled the world and they realized we were traveling not for money, but because we loved the game and we wanted to promote it. We tried to help juniors. We had junior competitions. We had charities. We had hospitals. Uh, we went to schools and we went to hospitals to talk to people. We just loved people. And that's what you should do because your life is surrounded by people, mm -hmm. not by robots. And so... It's a funny thing. You give love, man, it comes back tenfold. I go into a supermarket. I get on an aeroplane. I go to a football match. Where, and people come up to me. Honestly, I, I go home and I just get on my knees. And a man is never so tall as when he's on his knees. And I just say, thank you that I can receive the greatest word, love, which is God. Mm -hmm. To receive him in your heart, it does wonders. And it's something that I'm so thankful for. And somebody, sometimes people that have not liked me, for some unknown reason. You know, a lot of people did not like you and I, Jimmy, because we tried so damn hard and we were right. on, on, you know, we were at the brink of, of, of trying. We couldn't try any harder. And a lot of people who don't have that philosophy did not like that. Right. So they thought we handled life that way and we don't. We handled our tennis quite differently. We, we were in, off life, we were laughing a lot and joking a lot and being friendly a lot. But on that tennis court, Man, you wanted to tear the guy apart when I was on that golf course, man. Don't tell me you've had a seven in the last hole. I'm not interested in that. I've got to look after myself and play. Be courteous, but you've got to play like it's the last match of your life because you only lose by one shot usually. Sometimes you double service, you're gone. You double, you know, it's so close. Everything right. is so close. When you think of your majors, you finished second, you and I finished second about seven or eight majors. We were that close to another seven majors, but we didn't get it. So you've got, to be, you've got to be a fierce competitor. And you watch every great sportsman or sportswoman. 
They've got something. I'm talking about superstars. Mm-hmm. Right. They use the word superstar too lightly. I think yeah. in golf, you've got to win six majors to be a superstar. I don't know how many you've got to win in tennis. I don't profess to know that. But man, you've got to, you've got to be a competitor because it's too tough. Actually, it's a good question. What do you think? Uh, answer that question, Brett. Uh, how, how many Grand Slams do you think in tennis? He said six in golf. What to do you be think? great? Superstar. To superstar? Be a superstar? I mean, for to, the whole career? Yeah, your whole yeah. career, they say. Yeah, you got to probably win four or five, something like that. Yeah, four or five. Yeah. I think golf, to be a superstar, you've got to win six. Six, yeah. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's hard to say what is what because mm-hmm. we all got different opinions. And I've, not, I've never been in the US Open or Wimbledon in the arena and you've never been in the arena at Augusta on the last day. Mm -hmm. So it's very hard for us to give opinions on each other's sport. Right. But I set the standard, the bar high because superstar, people use the word great and superstar so lightly. Yeah, great's the most watered down word. Absolutely. (laughs) They use goat and now everyone's the goat. Everyone's the goat. Yeah, everyone's the goat. (laughs) You're like, wait, I thought that's the greatest of all time. It can only be one, right? That's right, that's right. So, and you gotta be careful when you give opinions. You know, you look at a man like Rod Laver, you know, he won two Grand Slams and wasn't allowed to play in mm-hmm. 20 majors. 20 majors in his prime. So who knows what had happened? Ben Hogan won nine majors, went to war for five years, came out, had an accident, 30 majors in his prime, never played. He would have, I really believe he would have won the most majors. You don't know what these things. Unfortunately, ifs and ands of the world we live in, it's a tough world. It's a wonderful world but it's a tough world. It's a forgiving world, I hope, but uh, you can't go on ifs and ands. The only thing you can judge somebody by is longevity and what did he win on paper. Don't tell me how far he hit the ball, how charismatic he was, what a great putter he was, this or that. Just tell me what's on that paper if you want to judge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the numbers at the end of the day. Yeah. It's crazy that so many of us enjoy the finer things in life, yet so many of us still settle for blah coffee every day. With Trade Coffee, you can start every morning with something special. Trade is a coffee subscription service unlike anything you've tried before because they partner with top independent roasters to freshly roast and send the best coffees in the country directly to your home. And they do it all on your preferred schedule. Their team of experts do all the work, taste testing hundreds of coffees from across the U.S. every month to curate over 450 exceptional coffees that make the cut. The latest coffee that I love to get from Trade is the organic Toka tea from Sightglass. It gets me going in the morning and ready for the day. I love the fact that they work with me to try and figure out the best coffee to fit my style, and their team actually worked with me to create my own custom collection. And if what I got isn't up your alley, don't worry. Trade will have whatever it is you want. You can shop their most popular coffees by roast or flavor profile. You can take their coffee quiz and get expertly matched with the coffees you'll love. So if you want to support small businesses and brew the best cup of coffee you've ever made at home, it's time to try Trade Coffee. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your first order, plus free shipping at drinktrade.com slash Connors. That's drinktrade.com slash Connors for $30 off. Now, let me ask you a question. In tennis, uh, do you see any young American champion coming along? Well, I, I certainly hope so. Uh, uh, you know, Brett uh, watches an awful lot more tennis than I do, but uh, uh, there, there's the, the talents out there. 
but but you know as maybe you, on the women's side. But the, yeah, the women is uh, they they are uh, you know they have Serena and, and Venus Williams who have really carried yes you know the game for for you know ten fifteen years now, but they they do have a lot of young. Uh, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old uh, young ladies coming up and, and playing some good tennis and waiting to break in, you know, to take over yes. uh, and, and, and be the best. Coco uh, Goff yeah. is a really good oh, young yes. player. Very good. I yeah. watched her, yes. And really mature yes. for her age. I yes, think she's just extremely. 16. And I love to watch her mother and father. Yeah, they're funny, they, they, right? They're choking more than she is. Right. Uh, mild. Yeah, they're sweating in, yeah. the, in the stands more than she is. And, and you know, it's also, it's, uh, it's fantastic to see young people when they come through who's going to be the champion the new champion it's very exciting isn't it mm -hmm. very exciting yeah. but, but we we need uh, some guys some young guys to start yes. stepping up and, yes. and, and, uh, and, and having an attitude and, and because that attitude uh, can take you to, to good heights yes. instead of just trying to fit in yes. and, and be a part of it. You know, come, yes. you know, it's, it's okay to, you know, to step outside the box once in a while and, and, and maybe be a something a little bit different yeah. than, than what, what anybody else is. Yeah. Yeah. But I say that, but to do that, you must win. Got to win. Yeah. That's, that's the most important. But you see, you uh, and McEnroe and some other guys in your time were the best in the world. Now it's changed. Now you've got Djokovic, who's not an American, I assume. No. You've got uh, Nadal, who's not an American. You've got Fedra. Not an American. Not an American. No. And who? Yeah. Uh, the weatherman from Scotland, I've forgotten his name again. Murray. Murray, who Murray. was a, yeah. a champion. He's Scottish. Teams, Austrians, Varev, yes. German. Yes. Yeah. And then you've got these young guys coming up. But it'll change again. The, the pendulum cyclical. swings. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, yeah. it's cyclical, quite right. Right. Yeah, but we've got to get the young people to work hard. And you've got to have a special coach. A coach that understands the sport, understands the moves, understands psychology, a man who can teach him to eat properly, a man who teaches him to exercise properly, and to go about his business. That is something that happened to your dad, Jimmy Connors. It was ingrained in him. He had it. Why? Divine gift. Mm. I believe. Now, a lot of people that don't believe, and that's their privilege, but to me... I know with me, to be this small, travel where I came from, play against the guys living here. They can go home every week, being away from your family, being away from your dogs, being away totally. from your farm and your home and everything and living in a motel every single week. It can only be a divine gift that made me a champion. No question in my mind, mm -hmm. no question. Why should he pick on me? I don't know. Yeah, that's, did, did you, that's did, a lifelong question. Did you have those same <laughs> feelings when you were young though? Yes. You did. I did, I did, yeah, I did. And my faith has been my greatest, besides my wife and my family, we have tremendous love in our family. Uh, besides my family, my faith has been the greatest thing that I could have in my life. Greatest thing. Yeah. From the very beginning. From, from a very young boy, because my mother, she was a great believer, and you know, even though she died when I was nine, I think Hitler said, Hitler said something very interesting. He said, give me a boy until he's 10 years of age and he's mine. We can brainwash him as long as up to 10. Mm -hmm. We can brainwash him, which they did with young people. Right. As is being brainwashed in the world today for 10-year-olds to kill Americans and, and infidels around the world. So they train young people to do an amazing thing. 
And so I, but I, I come back to, to the mind. The mind is something that we've only scratched the surface of. Some people might get to 12% in our time. Eventually they'll get to 15%. And Einstein said, if you can get 15%, there'll be, well, another 50% better performance all round. Mm -hmm. So the mind is something that we are only scratching the surface of. The head of the Cleveland Clinic, a man called Dr. Royzen, said to me, if you can live another 14 years, not meaning me, because I, I doubt I will, but somebody like you, we can guarantee you another 10 years of life by the way you eat, by the way you sleep, by the way you laugh, by the way you're being happy at home, by exercise, by the mindset. We'll have special ways of treating them, of working on the mind. Uh, we'll have medicines. I mean, you'd, you take a CBD oil, what that's doing for a lot of people today. I never thought mm. I'd ever see that <clears throat> in my life. People with a lot of troubles and pains and things like that. This has been a marvelous invention and it's natural. Yeah. It's better than damn aspirin or something. Well, in my opinion, I've got to be careful what I say, but I would, I think to me, it's more natural than aspirin. Yeah. Um, um, aspirin has done a lot of good, but if I had the choice myself, I would take the CBD oil now. Yeah. But, and, but we never knew about that long ago. We're finding out things now. We're finding out for weightlifting in golf, okay? Mm -hmm. When I started that, and we were discussing this today, I was ridiculed. I tell you what, you cannot believe how I was ridiculed. You're a fool. You're gonna ruin your career. You got no chance. Health and nut. Health nut and all this. <laughs> now they got a traveling gymnasium. I used to go down to the YMCA, get somebody grab that side of the weight, this, put on my shoulders with a big rubber pad here, wait your turn, very smelly with all everybody in there, dirty <laughs> towels, et cetera. They were cleaned up. The YMCA did a great job. Now they got a traveling gymnasium, a room three times this side. You got a monsieur, you got every exercise there, you got a psychologist, anything you want, a nurse, skin specialist. They, guys, they get guys that go into that trailer in the morning. They can't play that day, whereas we would never have played. Yeah. They look after those guys. I promise you they go out and play. That's they stretch crazy. them. Right. They put ice on them. They give them a little uh, Advil or something. I don't know. You've got all these little things or a little aspirin or something, and uh, they fix them up and they go and play. So we're living in a different time. And, you know, you think when, my, when I was a young man playing in my US Open and I wanted to beat Nicholas to win the Grand Slam slow badly, I prepared mentally, you cannot believe, I sat in front of a mirror in a Tai Chi position, which is tough, for five minutes. And I'd go, pow! Today you will, in this torment, you will never give up, pow! You will never have a negative thought, pow! You will have respect for the course, pow! You will lovely, you'll love every bad break you get. And the end of the night, every night, I did this for a week, I'd take the cream. <laughs> and you beat yourself it. up. And then I went to the scoreboard in the morning, right? It is Brad, right? Brett. Brett. Yes. I, I, heard, I thought I heard your dad say Brett. So I went down to the scoreboard before anybody got there. Mm -hmm. And they had the US Open scoreboard there with all the champions written on it. And I went down there in this Tai Chi position again <laughs> for five minutes. You tried for five minutes. Yeah. And I sat there and I saw Gary Player, Gary Player, Gary Player. Gary player, every morning. So I prepared myself mentally like very few athletes have ever prepared for a tournament. I didn't go out at night. I'm not superstitious at all. But I washed the same shirt for some unknown reason because it felt so good on me. It was black in that heat. <laughs> but I was so fit, man, I didn't worry about whether it was hot or not. And I prepared myself with calmness. 
I spoke slowly. I went out to the course. I put my shoes on slowly. I spoke very slowly. I loved what Jimmy said today, that he said, Tiger even blinked slowly. (laughs) (laughs) So, you see, there are ways to prepare. Mm -hmm. And we're in our infancy. In in all sports, we're in our infancy now. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, when I watch tennis now and I watched Wimbledon, and I watched the man from South Africa, Anderson, is it? Yeah, Kevin Anderson. Yeah, and he was playing against uh, Djokovic. Mm-hmm. Or, no, the game before where they went Isner, on. Yeah, Isner. It was just serve, serve, serve. Two blight things. Mm-hmm. And they changed a few rules since then, haven't they? Right, they have, yes. So you see, it's going to be interesting to see what sort of a human being I'd love to know is going to be around here in five years. Now, you take Chamblou. Mm-hmm. They, a lot of guys are saying this guy's crazy. No, he is, he's not crazy. They're the crazy ones. Right. He's the sharp one. He's realized that strength is speed. And look what he's done since he's got strong and built himself up. Yeah. All of a sudden, his bank manager calls him sir. That's right. You know? It's a <laughs> right. big difference. Yeah. No one's messing with him uh, now. Nobody's messing with him now. And his game is getting better. And eventually, and you had many of these golf channels and uh, different programs say you can't do weight training and Tiger's playing badly now because he's lifting too heavy a weight. Such hogwash. Talking about subjects that they don't know anything about that they think they know about but have never studied it and understand that. And I always said when you talk about muscle bound, you've got to know what you're talking about. You take some of these long-hitting guys. They hit the ball 460 yards. <laughs> now, they're built like Mr. Universe. Mm-hmm. Now, the first thing you'd say, well, he can't swing the club back. Right. What does he do? He gets the club back to parallel. You can be thin and muscle-bound. You can be thin and Mm muscle-bound. You can be like this and not muscle-bound. So as long as you can build your body to as big a muscle as you want, as long as you can get the club back to parallel or below, which is a better advantage, and you can move your body with speed, you're not going to get muscle-bound. So you've got to understand, if you are inclined to get muscle-bound, you don't exercise the top part of your body. You exercise the bottom part. And I can go on about this Mm -hmm. exercise for a long time and what you should eat and how yeah. you should sleep and prepare yourself. But well, you're, you're kind of you're kind of the the godfather of all that. Do you can take a little credit for that now? Well, everybody I, I, getting into that? Yeah, because they all said I was a nut. And there yeah. was a guy called Frank Stranahan who was with me, thank goodness. And he was very rich. He could travel with his weights. But I, I couldn't because I couldn't afford the, the overweight. Mm-hmm. So I had to go to the YMCA. No, but it, it's really been interesting to see that. And now we'll go to another level. We'll go to another level. And I tell you, when I wanted to win that Grand Slam, if I tell you what I was left, I was squatting the night before with 325 pounds, full squat. I was doing these 30-pound dumbbells like this. I mean, I watched Tiger Woods when he came out there, what he was doing, and, uh, and Rory McIlroy. Have you seen Dustin Johnson? These guys are athletes, man. These guys are tough. Right. We're building, we're building superhuman beings now. Because, because there's in, you see, Lee Kuan Yew was one of the greatest leaders the world ever knew of Singapore. He ran the best country, he ran the best, in my humble opinion, he ran the best country in the world. And he did it through incentivization. You've got to be incentivized to do well. If you can incentivize, I know with all the people I hired, I always incentivize them to do better. And today they're being so incentivized in sport with this massive prize money that you're getting people that are, are really, they're obsessed with getting strong and obsessed with doing well because their f- grandfather never made a million, their father never made a million. They can go back and their whole family tree never made a million dollars. And now you can win a tournament and win in South Africa. We had a tournament in December, two and a half million first prize. 
right. two and a half yeah. million dollars first prize. Not a no, bad it's, week's it's, work. It's That's right. Yeah, but the the prize money's changed. You know, tennis is the same way. Yeah. To, to win the U.S. Open is uh, yeah, it's like three, three million, like three million, yeah. Yeah. men and women, yeah, men and women, three million right. each. You you were the third golf professional to win the Grand Slam, right? Behind Gene Sarazen, right, and Ben Hogan, ben, right. I think Ben Hogan is the best player I ever saw. I never saw a man hit the ball like that, started off as a very mediocre golfer, hooked the ball a lot, worked like an, he worked, he worked like a Trojan, and eventually he developed what I think was the most effective great swing ever. Had he played with this equipment, these greens, these bunkers, knocking down spike marks, it's a different game. Golf is not the same yeah, right. Nowhere near the same. <clears throat> The, the driver you use, the ball you use, the sand iron you use, the putter you use, the bunkers all raked with a machine, Timbuktu, New York, South Africa, the same depth, the greens cut like snooker tables, the fairways are like, like a carpet, a million dollar first prize, a car pick you up at the airport, free telephone calls, free food, free food, free shoes, free drivers, and you get paid. <laughs> you yeah. get paid for it. You gotta be crazy not to want to do it. Exactly. Right? You, you gotta know, be crazy. And go out and give it your best just to be a part of all that would be exactly. something special. But I would like to say one thing. I don't know if any athletes are listening to us on this show right now. But learn to speak well, learn to dress well, learn to behave well. Because the people that are signing you up for contracts are going for these kind of people. Now, I know there are different styles and you can say, well, I don't have to shave anymore and I don't have to do this and I can go with slip-flops and I can do that. Yes, you can. And it's accepted. But remember, the people that are signing the contracts for you, and if you want to get dinner after dinner talks, don't swear at dinners. Don't swear. Keep the language nice and clean because in the long run, they don't appreciate it. That you're not. That if you swear, they don't appreciate it. So the way the manager... And we've got to be careful the managers don't become too greedy and only worry about money for their own sake because the great commission they get. They've got to train their young men from the beginning to uphold the name of your sport because in the long run, that's what will make you the money that you can make out of a sport. Right. Now, there are exceptions. There are crazy guys that make a lot of money. But in the long run, manners maketh a man, Winston Churchill said. Well. Are, are you uh, are, are you happy with the way uh, golf is right now with, with the the equipment and uh, the way that's changed the game and, and the ball and and uh, uh, shafts and stuff shafts making some great courses from the past uh, almost obsolete are, are you happy with that no I'm not I'm very happy with professional golf I think the guys are doing a good job I'm very happy with amateur golf. I just think that we've got to wake up and our leaders, who I've always had great admiration for, the RNA, the USGA and the PGA, but they've got to have a little bit more vision than they're having now and to understand that they're going to drive the first hole at Augusta, 454 yards. They've got guys that can do it now. They don't want to recognize that. They're scared because America is a very litigious society. They're scared to make a rule like that. But... The game is not going to be obsolete. It's obsolete now. They're hitting a drive and a wedge to 13 at Augusta. Nicholas, who was just as long as they are, but played with inferior equipment, inferior, inferior fairways, he hit the ball just as far as they did. Nicholas won a long driving competition in 1961 
with a wooden head and an old ball, 341 yards in Columbus, Ohio, and still has the money clipped to this day. <laughs> so he hit the ball as far. But when you start hitting driving wedges and at the third hole at Augusta, guys driving over the green. Mm. I mean, this is the time you've got to start thinking. Now Augusta keep making it longer and longer and longer. What happens? You use more water. The world is running out of water. You know in California, you appreciate what water is. You better appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Your fertilization doesn't do the ground any good. And so machines cost a lot of money. Labor costs a lot of money. You've got to be careful you don't. And that's why a lot of clubs are in trouble because they started lengthening their golf courses and making the greens undulating, putting bunkers in front of the greens and the members couldn't play anymore and they resigned. So the clubs were in trouble. You could buy many golf clubs today for $1 if you want to take over the debt, which nobody in their right senses will. So we've got to be very careful, very careful. We've got to cut the ball back. And I've always insisted that pro golf and amateur golf are two different games. They don't seem to agree with me, but if you don't think so, go and watch Tiger Woods. Go and watch Dustin Johnson. Go and watch Shambro hit a ball. you realize how different it is to an amateur game. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to have the rules. Don't you have, in tennis, do you have the same rules? Same ball, same rackets? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's the same. Uh, but, you know, the, the strings, the, uh, strings, the strings yeah. have changed. The, the rackets, the equipment have certainly changed, you know, with the oversized rackets and the different materials. Uh, I think they've changed the ball. You know, yeah, now to, yeah. uh, to uh, all the court surfaces mostly are the, you know, the same speed, the same bounce. Uh, you know, they've yeah. changed the grass to bounce higher. Mm -hmm. They've changed the clay at the, the French Open to be uh, a little faster. You know, so, uh, you know, the, the, change, yeah, the changing bit. of the game that, that they have to, uh, that they used to have to do to play on different surfaces really, you know, doesn't have to happen anymore. Yeah. So you are making changes in tennis gradually or not? Uh, well, they've made changes, you know, whether whether it's, you know, the right way or the wrong yeah, way, yeah. you mm -hmm. know. It's debatable. It's debatable, <laughs> Yeah, right. but if we're not careful, it'll just be a serving game if we're not careful. And that's some of the, that's what they were trying to do. Yes. You know, Wimbledon, remember, used to be just yeah. big serve, yeah. volley, boom, you know. So I think they wanted to make it a little longer rallies. Yeah. So maybe the idea behind it was good, but then what it's done is it's kind of homogenized all of it. What about yeah. one service? Well, I, <laughs> you know, I... I with team tennis uh, back in the day, that a lot of the rules were uh, were thrown around. At, you know, what would be the best to do? Maybe we should try it. That that uh, try one serve, or if it hits the let, the let counts, uh, and you got to play it that way. Uh, move the service box back a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, or, or or move the server back a little bit beyond the baseline. You know, a lot of things have been talked about, but then you're changing. You know, the rules of the game. Tradition. Tradition. Mm. Right. Yeah, but, but change you know, is the price of survival. Right, but we, you know, we've talked about that. You know, you know, you change to fit the time, I guess. They just, I, yeah. Yes, you change to fit the time. I love one service. I love if you hit the net. Well, that's part of the game. Yeah. You don't get a reserve if you hit the net and you just get over. That's part of the game. You can't uh, say, you can't always say, well, you can just change luck, because you know, or whatever the what the word is. You've got to be very careful, and you've got to go with the times. You never had men. You know, of course, there have been a lot of foods that make people bigger today. Some people, a lot of people in the world have taken steroids, whether you like it or not, and made them bigger. Mm -hmm. The people are getting better food. They're stronger. They understand diets more than they used to. They get, they've got gyms all over the world. So you've got to change according to the times, mm -hmm. I think. And I just think they've got to take for amateur golf, 
leave it as it, as it is, excuse me. But for professional golf, cut the ball back 50 yards because the money that is being spent on changing golf clubs is hundreds of millions. Rather take those hundreds of millions and put them into the youth. The youth of a nation are the trustees of posterity. They're your future champions. Put the money into the youth. Don't go changing those golf courses. They were perfect. Just cut the ball back 50 yards mm. and you've got it licked. It's an unnecessary expenditure. Yeah, I think it'd be cool if they tried to test it out and have maybe one tournament a year with some sort of restrictions, you know, or, or let them play with old persimmon and, and you know. Yeah, I but. don't think we have to go. <laughs> that would be a good idea. It'd be to fun, get, though. Yeah, they'd, I'd love them to know what we played with. Yeah. But uh, Just to see if, like, Shambo. And, and spike marks on the green. Yeah. And raking the ball with your feet and bringing a mower in that cuts it that long instead of that long. And but having put, fairways that are that long instead of this long. Okay. Things like that. But I don't know, that's a bit much. Yeah. Just... <laughs> Even if it's like an exhibition. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Just yeah. sort of for fun, just yeah. to see, like, could Deschambeau hit, like, a small little persimmon wood, you yes. know, like the same way, or would he have to change well, his swing? He wouldn't have. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I played a shot uh, yesterday, I think it was. Oh, no, today I played it on the on the six hole. I only had a seven iron, but I took the six wood and I hit it high in the air because I know the green runs away and I finished 10 foot from the hole. You, you couldn't do that kind of stuff to that extent. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, game, the game is completely, the, it's nowhere near the same game it used to be. Yeah. Well, what do you think about him? He plays all his irons the same length. I think that's kind of interesting. That's unusual for me. But there again, and your dad and I were talking about, you see, when you give lessons and you talk about people with golf swings, I, don't, I can't talk on tennis, but golf swings, uh, the worst thing they did with Tiger, Tiger wins the US Open by 15 shots, not five, 15. Goes for a lesson the next week, simply because, and everybody says why, he wanted to get better. He made the mistake, he got worse. Then he went to another guy and he got even worse. Mm -hmm. So for 11 years, he never won a major. He should have won <laughs> in those 11 years. He, he really, the way he was going, he might have won 20. Mm -hmm. Tiger Woods might have won 30 majors if he never had another lesson. I know for a fact that if he never had a lesson, he would have won at least 20 majors, at least. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. It's always hard to ifs and ands. Yeah, yeah but isn't that uh, a, a, a champion athlete's uh, mindset? Yes. Uh, always trying to figure something up, yes. something out to be better. To, to be better yes. Right? I've tried four putting actions this week because <laughs> I'm not satisfied to hold some putts. I'm trying to do what you do, hold them all. <laughs> Go for your dad, it. let me tell you for your listeners here, nobody's ever said this, but Jimmy Connors can really play golf. Uh -oh. well, You're going to kill him, he's never going to get warning, a game. I'm warning all these people that are listening, <laughs> don't ever play him for money. You're, you're killing me. no chance. There goes the game. <laughs> you're goes killing the game. me. <laughs> so, so really, you've got to be careful when you teach people that you don't teach them out of their sphere. So you can't make a radical change for a swing when your dad likes to bend over low. Mm -hmm. If I said him, stand up, Jimmy, which is the right way to play, he wouldn't play. So it doesn't suit him. Mm -hmm. you, when you teach, you gotta, you gotta be very clever and very patient. What would I teach him that's not foreign to him, extremely foreign and against his natural tendencies, his mm -hmm. idiosyncrasies? And people are too quick just to change. Yeah. So you have gotta be very careful. A good teacher is a very, very rare thing a really good teacher. Mm. There are players on the tour now that I'm telling you that if I had to teach them, and I'm not boasting because I've had more experience than anybody in the world, I know I could 
bring them up an amazing notch or two. Mm-hmm. But they're doing things in their swing that are so bad that they're making a lot of money, but they won't reach the heights that they should. You know, it's, a, you, it's amazing you say, you talk about coaches. Uh, uh, you know, I, I was honored enough to be able to play with you twice, uh, and, and uh, today was one of them. But the first time we played, uh, you, you saw something uh, in my putting stroke. Right. And, and literally made one, one little comment yeah. and, and, and changed my whole, my whole putting. Man. Uh, you know, and, but, but that's, that's the eye yes. of, of someone who really knows. Exactly, right. exactly. And man, you, you, I mean, the way you've improved your putting is absolutely unbelievable. But it's the most important thing, and it's the thing that Tiger does and all the great putters do. So, you know, there's still, you can go about it and look different. You can try something, but you can look different trying it. That's also another thing. So one man stands up, one man stands down, one takes it inside, one takes it outside. Look at this guy, Wolf, when he plays. I like Look, him. He looks yeah. like Zorro, but boy, he can play. <laughs> yeah. He can play. I lo- I, funny enough, I love his swing. I, I like it too. Yes, a lot of guys, I love it. Yeah. So, you know, John Daly. John Daly was one of the most talented. He was as talented as Tiger. Mm. If John Daly had been a man that exercised and looked after himself and trained and worked on the mind... And all these things, look, the man's happy with what he did. That's all that matters. But had he gone about it like Tiger, mm-hmm. he, would have, he would have been phenomenal. Yeah. But I see a lot of people in my life. Talent is not the answer. It's a help. It's one piece of the puzzle. A puzzle contains patience, hard work, adversity, exercise, eating properly, sleeping properly, laughing properly. It contains a lot of pieces in the puzzle. But um, talent is only just one piece of the tunnel, mm-hmm. of, the, of, the, of the puzzle, only one piece. So I've seen a lot of people, Tom Weisskopf was a better golfer than Jack Nicklaus. But Tom used to say, I don't love golf. Really? So he couldn't do what Nicklaus did, because he didn't love it. He didn't have the passion we were talking wow. about at the beginning of the show. That's crazy. Yeah. Isn't it? And he was better than Nicholas, please believe me. But he, d- he said at press conference, I don't, I don't love golf. Wow. Give, hmm. give, me, give me some names of some uh, of the, the golfers that, uh, that you played against that, that were great golfers that don't get uh, the credit. Don't get that the they credit. Deserve. Well, you know, I don't really think that that happens. I think, again, you come back to, if they put the name in the red record book, they will get the credit. I mean, one man that I think that doesn't, of course, age and time is a veterinarian. It makes people forget. It's a doctor. It's a doctor that says you will not remember what happened way, way back. I mean, if you speak to a young man about Reagan now, who I just loved, they have no understanding about Reagan, really, strictly speaking. Mm. And time goes, that's why I don't believe in legacies. Because, and, there's too much happening in the world. I don't expect people to remember me. When I'm gone, I give the love. I, do what is, I try and do what is right here. I give people enjoyment. I get enjoyment, and I'm there at the time. When I'm finished, I don't want to be buried either. I want to be get the hell out of here. I want to go to a better place. I don't want to go in the ground in a dark box and pay for it, and the worms eat me and the box. I want to get out of here and go and not take up ground because ground is for the living. We're running out of ground. We need ground. So I don't believe in legacies. I've had my turn here, off I go. And I'm telling you, the people, when you talk about legacies, the most famous man that I can think of ever is Winston Churchill, other than Jesus Christ. 
I think of Winston Churchill. If I went to universities in America today and asked the students, a two-year, a second-year student, who is Winston Churchill? 30% would tell me who he is. Mm. So there's the greatest man in my mind that ever lived. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't for Winston Churchill and Roosevelt, you and I and you would not be sitting here today talking in English in the way we had a world so, so different. Mm -hmm. So we must never forget Roosevelt and Winston Churchill, never. Definitely. Yeah. You, you have done everything. You're a legend in golf. You raise racehorses. You have Gary Player Foundation where you do donate millions and millions of dollars to kids in education. And, and uh, you've traveled the world. You've raised your family. What's left? I think for me is to, the one thing that I enjoy doing, Jimmy, as I've come here this five weeks for a special reason, and they made me an honorary member of Valley Club, which is a beautiful club. And I've played with all old members, good players and ladies, old ladies I talk to. People forget about, people see old people, they, they don't worry about them. I go to them, I say, how old are you, ma'am? I said to a lady this morning, how old are you? I said, you must, you are so beautiful at your age. How many people have told her that? Yeah. I said, you are so beautiful at your age. I said, it's such a pleasure for me to see you. Are you enjoying your golf? Now, let me give you a good tip. Keep your head still when you putt. Took me 20 seconds to do that. Right. And this is what I'm able to do to build schools, to build aid centers, to help and raise money for people that don't have anything. And just to be here, and I still love to practice and compete. I want to get better now, still. And I'm out there trying. I mean, even when I left you today, I went and putted for two minutes before we cross-handed just to get that feel. Oh, see, that's just not fair. Uh -huh. <laughs> I've got to try and catch up with uh -huh. you, you see? Yeah. So, I don't know. I have so much to live for, so much to live for. I, I'm crazy about breeding of racehorses. It's like golf. It's so competitive. I love my foundation. I love to help people. I love to travel and go to different countries and meet people. I mean, I've been blessed. I've dined and wined and played golf for the, the White House with all the presidents, and I've loved all your presidents. We don't necessarily agree with everything their policies are, but we love them all because to be president of the greatest country, I, I just think that I maybe love America more than any American because I've been able to make comparisons. And when I hear people saying on television every night, the students, they don't love America. These people don't love America. It's a bad country. I say, what? Why are so many people wanting to come and live here? If you could open your borders tomorrow, you'd have a trillion people come here. Why? Because it's bad? No, 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 no. Merle Haggard has a song. Love it or leave it. Right. Yep. I, I have just a couple quick questions before we wrap up. Can you just, just as a golf fan, just when you go to the course at home or wherever and you're going to go practice for an hour, can you just tell me what you practice on? Like, just tell me what you go do. You know, at this stage of my life, at nearly 85, you know, I've worked so hard diligently on the swing, I, and I know the swing well now. Only, only it took 70 years to learn it. Yeah. I only really learned it at 70. That's after all my majors. Had I had the knowledge that I have today, I would have definitely won more majors. But Hogan said the same thing. When I finally learned how to play, I was too old to put it into practice. And the same with me. But... Um, I go out there now and I just make sure I swing smoothly. 
I stretch with my heavy club. I'm thinking about uh, going to work on my short game. I like to go before I play, work on my short game because it's always short game. I mean, I played a round of golf today. Had I played it well, I would have shot 68. A difference of five or six shots. Mm-hmm. So I like to work and think of my, my uh, and when I'm playing an important game, even now, I put my shoes on slowly, I do everything very slowly, and I prepare myself so that you go there and you're in a mood well before you play. And then I go out, and one of the things I do now, because I'm a great lover of nature, when I see what is happening, and I just hope somebody is listening to this that runs golf clubs in America, please stop cutting down your trees. Mm. They should jail those people, in my opinion. They're cutting down all the trees. Trees that have been there for 70 and 80 years, they cut down in five, 10 minutes because of they're not getting enough oxygen on their golf courses. Hogwash, come to the Valley Club here in Santa Barbara. The most beautiful oaks all over the trees, all over the fairways, and the course is perfect. You can go to golf courses in New Jersey that I played, tree-lined, Tees, greens, fairways, courses perfect. Stop cutting down the trees. It's a sin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hate seeing that. They did that out here at some of our courses. Beautiful eucalyptus trees. You You see, people, you've got to understand, you've got a lot of city slickers that live in apartments Mm -hmm. and live in cities. They don't really understand and grasp nature what fresh air, what good clean water means, not over-fertilizing the soil, not dirtying the rivers, not filling the sea as the trash can of the world. There's so many things. People don't even worry about those things, but we better. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's going to have long-term repercussions, that's for sure. But, um, you know, I've really, I can't tell you how I enjoy playing uh, with Jimmy Connors. He's always been one of my heroes in sport. And to come out here in California... What a climate. Every day for five weeks, not a breath of wind, the little fog in the morning. What a place this is. It's been absolutely unbelievable, and it brings back such wonderful memories. Arnold and I played here in 1961 wow. against Bob Golby and against, um, um, well, there was uh, uh, Dow Finsterwald. They're both alive. Arnold's not. Although I communicated with Arnold, I sent him an SMS the other day. I said, listen, Arnie, make sure. I'll be there in a few years' time. I'm coming. Don't worry, I'm coming. Make sure you've got a very good course. Make sure it's a Gary Player design. Immediately I've got an answer back. You're talking trash. It's going to be a Palmer design. And I said, but Arnold, build a gym there, please. Uh, Get him out there too. Put a steam room in there. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Well, Gary, having having you on has been uh, just a a treat. Uh, You you you. won nine majors. You won nine majors on the the senior tour, which is now the champions tour. You won 165 tournaments around the world. You've played in seven decades. You, yeah. It's just uh, it, it's just amazing what you've done, and you you being the golf ambassador is such a well deserved title for you. Well, I mean, you've done you. so much great, thank you. so many great things for the sport. Well, thank you. So uh, glad to have you on Advantage Conference. And to be here with you today is a privilege. And your son and meet your family. It's been an absolute privilege. Thank you. Yeah. You've always got a place in Santa Barbara Thank to come you. right here. Thank you. And I know you've made a lot of friends. All right. So Thank come you. back and see us. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Thank it's been great. Thanks, Brett. Yeah, I appreciate it.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.